Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? I am excited to be here. I can smell the burnt rubber and petrol in the air. We are so close to our first race. I know, man. A lot of today's show, we're going to be concentrating on the teammate battles because it will give us a chance to kind of go team by team a little bit and do a bit of a season preview uh, we'll also talk about the Drive to Survive series that I've binged as much of as I can, just a little bit, and no spoilers, I promise. But actually, Matt, we were in the shed two days ago talking to ex-Lotus team principal Matthew Carter, and I'm I'm not over it. I, I'm still buzzing from that conversation. Somebody said, like, that's the best show you guys have ever done. You're never going to top it. And they're right. I don't think we are. Well, I just... I mean, just frankly, talk having access to someone who's been in that position always feels like a very special treat. But to get him talking about the business of what was going on with him when he was in charge and then when they sold to Renault, wow, it was like it's it's like getting to stand in a photographer's pocket right next to the track while the race is going on. It's a perspective you just never expect to see personally and up close. We're really, really lucky to have that dynamic with Matthew Carter. I think he's been on 17 episodes of Missed Apex podcast so far, and he still manages to surprise us every time. That last chat we had with him revealed the most, I think, when it came to the relationship with Renault as they were taking over Lotus, the dynamic between these massive financial institutions as well. So if you're just finding us for the first time, in the show notes below, we are going to include a link back to that interview with Matthew Carter. So make sure that you listen to that at some point before the start of the season. We're going to get going. We've got some other people to speak to too today, but I want to tell you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission 
of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We have PR legend, guru. I'm not exaggerating when I say the best motorsport PR person that has ever existed. It's Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? Hey, Spanners. Enjoying my last weekend of freedom before the season starts. And and then that's basically me working, working, working until uh, pretty much November. Um, got busy times ahead and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, of course, you're representing a lot of drivers within the some of the junior series as well as um, as well as, say, Formula E and stuff like that. And a lot of your ex-clients do make their way up to Formula One as well, which unfortunately means we don't get to have you on the race weekends. But for the news shows and the summer breaks and stuff, we'll try and get you on as much as possible. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to get on a little bit more than last year. Hopefully COVID being a little bit more stable means we don't have as many calendar changes uh, and uh, we get to well i'm gonna i'm gonna plug my own thing as well because you talk about the carter show i'm still recovering from the first round of the missed apex i racing f3 cup and if you get to the end of uh race one um I, you could charitably say i lose my cool yeah you were banging <laughs> the table with excitement your commentary is always great on there go and check out missed apex motorsport it's a different youtube channel but that's where you'll see when we get to go karting again we do videos of that and at the moment where we do our sim racing broadcasts too. And the winner of that event was Kyle Power, who joins us now. How's it going, Kyle? Very well, thank you. I too am still recovering. Um, as I was going over the line to win that race, I had Chris's voice in my head. And when I watched it back, it was very similar to how I, it played out in my head as I crossed the line. Yeah, because of course, we're all in a Discord chat. The commentators are all in their own communications channel but they can reach in and grab the drivers out of the driver chat. So as you went from third to first on the last corner, they were able to pull you in and you just crossed the line. And then they're like, how do you feel, Kyle? And I think it took all your strength not to just scream down the mic on the broadcast. Uh, yeah, I was kind of mid-scream when they pulled me in. And then um, <laughs> and then trying not to be so excited that you just try to speak five words at the same time um it's very hard to keep you cool in that situation but it was uh, brilliant and it all added to the euphoria of just winning it was fantastic i felt almost professional so they've done this once in formula one chris where they had martin brundle i think talk to nico rosberg as an experiment in the car so during the commentary i think after one of the qualifying sessions they instantly went to him and i don't think they've done it since but formula e i believe tried that and we do it at our karting events as well so the commentators have access to helmet mics on some of the drivers and it works fantastically well when when we do it but it's not something f1 seems to want to explore yeah i'm not sure why in, in formula e at the end of every race they go and speak to the winner live while he's still making his way back to the pits and that's incredible to get just that immediate reaction to uh, to a race win and really i'm surprised it isn't something formula one tries to do more often they tried to do it with like celebrities talking to Lewis Hamilton when he won the title, which just turned out to be really cringy. So let's actually try and do it properly. It should just replace the the really awkward microphone positions. And I've been a pit lane reporter in very low level motorsport. And when you're trying to interview someone in a helmet, you don't know whether to point it at the visor or underneath the mouthpiece. It all gets very clumsy, but it works well in Formula One. And I think they did it in not Formula One, sorry, Formula E. And they did it in W Series as well. I'd like to see it more in Formula One. Uh, I think we should talk a little bit about the Drive to Survive Series before we do the teammate battles. Uh, let's start with you, Carl. I 
I have, I've, I'm halfway through. I really enjoyed it because it felt like a cinematic preview of the previous season to get me excited for, for the new season. But also as a seasoned F1 watcher, there are things and you go, oh, <laughs> a little bit of artistic license there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's brilliant. It gives so much access to people. But also, as you say, there are things you can point out. I won't give any spoilers away. And the very nature that we can give spoilers away just shows how good the show is. Hardcore fans can still get some stuff from it. But yeah, they do apply quite a lot of artistic license to it. And I picked up on some bits in the first episode, them using radio clips from a clearly a race to describe a pre-season testing lap, which yeah. really got underneath my skin. Um, but that's a that's a small price to pay, I think, for the access that it gives to the masses. Yeah, there was um, there was one scene where they were trying to describe things going wrong for Ferrari over the course of a particular race. And they used scenes of a pit crew, like, you know, when the, the typical shot of the head in the hands, but as a reaction to the chain slipping off the crane when they were lifting one of the Ferraris out. And it was like, a, it was the scene was kind of like, oh, what else could go wrong? And the, the nose of the Ferrari slips off the chain. And then they cut to the pit crew going, oh, my goodness, with their head in their hands. Like, clearly, that was a reaction to a race incident. But that kind of dramatic license is all right, Chris. We don't mind that. Yeah, I don't mind it. I, I love the word you use, cinematic, which is how I described it as well. It's great to get the cinematic viewpoint of what was already a very dramatic season. It was great to relive that. And uh, it, and like you like you say, it does amp you up for the new season. The fact that it comes out one week before the new season starts is fantastic timing. But we got to remember, ninety percent of people watching this are people dipping their toes into yeah. Formula One for the first time, and as a, a gateway for new fans to come in, it's just sublime. And and we know it works as a gateway because every season we have new listeners to Mr. Apex Podcast say, oh, I found it from Drive to Survive on Netflix. Then I searched for a podcast and found you guys. But Matt, it is unapologetic, unapologetically American. And that's what you need for a new person. So you can you can find the greatest film in the world if you happen to come come across it on TV 20 minutes in and it's just a dialogue scene. You go, this isn't it. And it's like you tune into an F1 race in the in the at the end of the first stint where everyone's tire saving and jostling position. You go, what's the fuss about this F1? But the way they've kind of trailed it and the way they've shown it, if you watch Drive to Survive, you will definitely want to then go and watch an F1 race. So job done. Yeah, well, what they figured out when they made the first season, and I'm going to preface this also by saying this is the only F1 thing that the family will actually watch with me. Everything else, I'm on my own. They could care less. But this is actually enough in their ballpark. They'll, they'll, they'll watch along. And it's because they concentrate on the personalities and the narratives of the drivers, which makes it, as you say, cinematic, because that's what movies are all about. They're about relationships between people and not just the drivers, team principals and everything else like that. So with only 20 drivers on the grid now more than ever, they are all superstars. Like, we're so invested in each individual character. I don't think 20, 15 years ago, people would have been as invested in Albon getting dropped for a, from Red Bull. It will just it will have been, kid came in, didn't get the results, you're out. But now there's 20 superstars, and this Drive to Survive series is making it even more so, Carl, isn't it? I mean, like, you look at, like, Daniel Ricciardo flirting with his with his fitness trainer in a very kind of deliberate way 
it makes him such a superstar and a character which we just we never had before yeah absolutely they um they showed a human side it's the actual part of the race is probably the smallest part of the story in drive to survive and that's what i really like about it my partner for instance sort of doesn't really watch the races anymore but will not miss an episode of drive to survive she absolutely loves it um and it's and it's that human side and that's what us hardcore fans get to see as well we get to see the humans and the actual yeah the actual people behind these sporting heroes yeah and again the way they do it and this i do have an advantage being married to someone who writes novels is is they're literally tropes for for these types of things where every character needs a dark moment every character needs a redemption story every character needs a conflict that needs to be resolved and the one thing that netflix has been good at from the off is finding these bits finding these bits and making them and making them accessible to people who don't know necessarily another thing about how formula 1 works chris i really like the human element of it as kyle said because there's even things you know we're all seasoned f1 fans on this panel but there's even some bits where like oh i didn't know i didn't know that happened or that particular behind the scenes conversation is is very interesting there are a couple of comments afterwards saying oh they didn't you know they didn't show anything of the huge pile up at Magello. they didn't talk about turkey they didn't touch on russell in sakir and it's Okay, you've got to remember these people are kind of going into these events with a with a set list of things they're going to talk about. They're not necessarily reacting to things on the fly. Yeah, it was decided in advance which races they were going to cover, so that limited yeah. what they could do a bit. Kyle, and also their their team and how challenging it is to film it under the COVID situations. They had to embed team members into certain teams, and you and you don't know that a massive pileup's going to happen, or you don't know George Russell is going to be in the Mercedes that weekend ahead of time. So they can't get people to embed in these teams. So whatever they catch has to be opportunistic, so to speak. So you can't you can't pre-plan for amazing events happening. And we're about to have our first chat room inspired argument and debate here. Hello to the live chat. We currently have 510 people concurrently watching us live on YouTube. You can join us live and chat along if you search for Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube. And somebody has reacted. This is what I love about having the live chat. Someone's reacted to what we've said. Instant feedback. 20 drivers on the grid. That is plenty, says Uncle Marvin. Well, now then, I don't agree with that at all. Um, I don't know if that's because I, I grew up in an era with... I was just after pre-qualifying, you know, where a thousand cars would turn up for the weekend and some wouldn't even make the grid. But for me, 26, 27, 28 cars, that feels correct. And when I look at a grid now, Kyle, with 20 cars on it, it feels very small. If we have like Hulkenberg where he couldn't start one race, suddenly that's 19. You have a first corner incident and now there's only 16, 15. It doesn't feel like enough. Not for me. Uh, I completely agree it can get a little bit skinny at times um motor gp had this a few years ago where they got down to only a couple of manufacturers in there and there was only grids of like 15 bikes and it looked for the top line motorsport it looked bad and i really was worried a few years ago formula one was heading yeah that way hence they tried to get some of the new teams in um 20 is still the bare minimum limit for my liking well, I suppose the counter to that, Chris, is that when we had a 26-car grid as recently as 2013? 24-car grid, I think that was in 2012. 
It, I can't remember when. I like, think you might be right. I think it was 24. HRT folded. Yeah, we lost three teams and then gained Haas, didn't we? Uh, yeah. So, I don't know. People were arguing that those teams weren't really adding anything to the back of the grid because they were quite far off. I guess they were, but they still had their own stories. It was still a way for younger drivers to get in and to to, to make a name for themselves, at least. Didn't add anything. I remember being just as excited during the 2012 showdown in Brazil between the Alonso Vettel title fight. I had another eye on Mana versus Caterham desperately trying to get an 11th place finish yeah, man. to get 10th in the Constructors' <laughs> Championship and gain crucial you know, winning funds to survive. And that was like edge of your seat stuff. That is true drive to survive. I wish drive to survive was around then following their stories because that is really surviving and striving to stay in the sport. Uh, quantity over quality is never good, but I do think we are on the lower end of quantity. We need, we need, ideally need two or three more teams. If you're going to need that, then you're going to need the economics for that. The reason we wound up at 10 teams is because that's as far down as things pay out. If you're the 11th team, you don't get any prize money. And it takes two years of placing to start getting prize money, as Gene Haas would no doubt still bitterly tell you. Yeah, and I think in reality, even though they haven't called it this, what we've seen is we've seen Formula One move to a, a franchise team model. There, there's essentially 10 teams now, and there's a huge levy on privateer teams that come in. They have to pay uh, a, a huge hike. So they how, how much is it, Matt? 200 million. So 200 million just to register as a new team is a clear message that, do you know what? We don't really want new teams. Your way into F1 is to buy one of the existing teams, buy one of the existing franchises. So I think for now, I think we are stuck with 20 teams on the grid, but it does make our preseason reviews a little bit easier because we've only got 10 teams to work through. So if you're ready, guys, what I want to do is I want to go through the teams in a vague championship order and i'm going to get my panel to put their their flag in the ground to stake their reputation on which of the drivers they think are going to win that team battle obviously it's an excuse to talk about those teams at the same time and kind of pick a margin as well is it going to be close is it going to be one-sided so i think matt we start what do you reckon we start at the top with mercedes Uh, okay we can start with that and i would start because having foolishly thrown it to me, I will now own the floor for the next 30 minutes. Relax, everyone. I would actually start uh, with my favorite statistic going into the season, which is preseason mileage, which can be incredibly important in differentiating the teammates. And in this case, we see that Hamilton drove an entire four laps more than Botas over the course of testing. Uh, that said, Hamilton will crush him yet again. I, I can't. I mean, you can almost look at the the top two all together because I think the championship fight, most likely scenario is the championship fight is between the the two drivers from Mercedes and the two drivers from Red Bull. I don't see, Chris, I don't see any way Bottas is going to challenge Lewis Hamilton. Obviously, on the drive to survive, there was a lot of stuff of like, oh, I don't want to be second. I'm not a number two. But when Rosberg had lost 2013, 2014, 2015... We saw something in those years, didn't we? We saw a spark of competition. Nothing has has shown me so far that Bottas can take it to him over the course of a season. 
it, Bottas has these one-off races where he seems to be untouchable, and uh, they're they're way too few and far between. I want to see the Bottas we saw at the Nurburgring, where even though he didn't, if I remember rightly, he didn't quite pip Lewis to pole, but he was so aggressive in his wheel-to-wheel action. You're like, oh, you're going to try and shove me off the track? Well, guess what? I'm just going to keep my foot planted and come straight back at you. I want to see that Bottas throughout the entire season. I'm not expecting to, unfortunately, but if he can, then maybe, and especially if Mercedes struggle a little bit, you know, we could, that could disrupt Lewis a little bit. It, it might just give Bottas a few more opportunities. I, I tell you what, I'll, to take them. I'll give you that. If Mercedes are dominant, I think that, that that's the opportunity that Bottas has. Honestly, I think if they're pulled into the pack a little bit more, I think Bottas disappears uh, completely. But uh, Kyle, I think Chris is being a bit optimistic there. I I can't see. I think he gets his head down because he lacks the consistency that Hamilton has, which to be fair is brutal. And and he just gets lost in the season. The odd spark of the odd win isn't going to be competitive. Like, I'm solidly saying it's once again Hamilton winning by a large margin in points over Bottas. Well, I'm going to stick my neck out and disagree with both what? of you and go a little bit of a different route. Um, I'm thinking back to 2016, the eve of a large regulation change, um, contracts being negotiated, uh, and a teammate that is fed up of playing bridesmaid all the time. Um, I actually think Bottas could be incredibly close this year, and this could be the year for Bottas because Hamilton's only on a one-year deal. He's got contract distractions it's on the eve of a big regulation change again he's got nothing left to prove if there was going to be weaknesses to expose in lewis hamilton this would be the year to do it particularly if mercedes are a bit unstable and will hopefully have a scruffy start to the season hamilton could get his head down i think it's going to be incredibly close but i still think hamilton will pip him but by a minuscule margin that's even that's a brave shout matt well i know we are technically talking about teammate battles but I wish to point out for the record that possibly the single most important battle will be between where Perez finishes and where Botas finishes in terms of the Constructors' Championship. Because we know from Toto Wolf that they think they have another diva on their hands and that even though everyone says they're sandbagging and they do admit to running heavier fuel, they do not yet entirely understand what's going on with their car. No, and um, I spoke to let someone in the paddock and they seem to think that yes the mercedes problem is is legitimate and they genuinely they don't have a handle on it but we know they can catch up we can we know they can get out of these kind of problems and when they had the diva car they had a few races where they just couldn't hook it up and it might well be that bahrain is that and that they kind of tease us where we think oh my goodness they've turned up with a pig and then they sort it out in rounds two and three Yeah, I just want to be really clear that the slowness we saw out of Mercedes was not entirely down to how the car handled. I believe there were other important factors at play as well that may not hamper them to the same degree when they turn up for the first actual race. Yeah, see, you're right when you made that point about the battle between Perez and and Bottas to see essentially who's causing the most disruption and gives their team the more the most tactical options. So that's why I suggested that we could maybe even talk about Red Bull and uh, and Mercedes drivers all kind of together in in the mix. I think Kyle's really stuck his neck out there though, Chris. I don't think Bottas is is I think the least likely of those four drivers to challenge for the title 
is Valtteri Bottas. We we lock out the top four pretty much with Mercedes and Red Bull. That's the anticipation, sure. Anyway, and that's fair. Um, you you, you got to remember, Bottas had some awful races like Monza, where he just went backwards and couldn't come back through. And if we have more races where the midfield is maybe a little bit closer and within striking distance, that's going to put more cars. I always say when you've got a dominant car, it's not necessarily going to be the number of wins you get. It's going to be how you recover from the one bad race you'll inevitably have. Because if if you're winning nine races each per season, but in that one bad race, you came third and your teammate came fifth, that's what's going to make the difference in a more competitive field, you're going to be squabbling with a lot more cars yeah. and you're going to be faced in that scenario much more often. Yeah, no, I agree with you. In a competitive field, Bottas gets even even more lost in the pack, is, is my prediction. Kyle? Um, yeah, I can see it going that way, but also I think Bottas is going to be so fighty, it could work in his favour. He might get involved in so many incidents, but he's going to be much more aggressive than Lewis coming through through the pack you know he's going to be throwing everything at this championship as will red bull which is why i think it could actually be his year and it would be nice wouldn't it matt to see hamilton in the pack as well a little bit and struggling because like when he's been you know dicing around Albon even last season even in a championship he won easily like he proper just you know he kept coming together and he was sort of magnetized and drawn to it it might be a little bit of a, a wake-up call for hamilton to to be in the midfield scrapping again not that i don't think he wouldn't do very well chris then matt for me, the most enjoyable Lewis Hamilton has been to watch was kind of pre-Mercedes dominance because you got to see him slicing and dicing with other cars and executing his expert overtaking manoeuvres that he does so, so well. And if you watch like him in, in junior formula as well, he was a, a bit of a master overtaker. We don't really get to see that from him as much anymore. So that would be a very welcome return in 2021 for me. Yeah, well, I just always think about, at the end of the day, watching them come up to the lapped cars to get through traffic. And I just remember the distance between Hamilton and Bottas always gets bigger when we get through that traffic. I think Hamilton has an advantage in wheel-to-wheel driving uh, that Bottas, despite all of his skill, and especially in qualifying, I'll put it to you, that he can match Hamilton as often sure. as not. Yeah, on pure pace, definitely. But when it comes to getting round cars on track, Hamilton has that certain something, and Botas, for all of his work, doesn't quite have it to the same degree. Tire management as well is something that Lewis beats him at at a consistent level. How many races was Lewis able to jump Bottas in the stops by making his first set of tyres go the distance? He bangs in some qualifying laps and then comes out of the pits ahead. It wasn't even just in the stops. What we kept seeing in in the first stint of the race was if Bottas has qualified well, and he does qualify well, if he manages to get away first, if it was Hamilton behind... Then we saw him hold his distance and then about four or five laps before before the pit stops, you see him start going into hunter mode because Bottas has used those qualifying tyres up, whereas Hamilton has got a lot in reserve. And that meant that every single race, Lewis Hamilton had options of what to do. So how many times did we see Bottas pit and then Hamilton go, nah, actually, I'm fine. So, you know, he's on the radio. Oh, these tyres are gone, man. These tyres are gone. And then Bottas is like, yeah, OK, I'll come in for my tyres. And then Hamilton's like, do you know what? Do you know what? Actually, I could probably finish the race on these. These are absolutely sound. And then Bottas has just got lost in the tactics. 
So tyre management is absolutely key, and that is probably a good link into, into Red Bull as well. So Red Bull have got Verstappen and Perez raw pace versus this sort of legendary tyre management that Perez has managed to build a reputation for. So out of those four, if we take them as a block, if they're all even, if they've all got the same machinery, they've all got equal pace, equal ability to fight through the field with their aero, of those four, Hamilton is the only proven championship winner. In fact, Chris, he's the only one of them that's really been in a real championship fight. He's the only one that's proved brutal consistency over the course of season after season. If everything is even, he's the runaway favourite, even if Verstappen's faster. Even if Verstappen's a better racer, yeah. even if Perez is better on the tyres, Hamilton, with that consistency, still the favourite. True, true. Can't argue with that. About halfway through that sentence, I thought you were going to end it differently <laughs> okay, okay. and say Sorry. that Lewis would be you know, the, the obvious choice for the, for the title. And I, I just think, I know I mentioned this a few shows ago, but I just think Verstappen is coming up to that level where he is going to start to yeah. surpass Lewis and I think we're going to start to see the handover yes. over over this year and the years to come. Yeah, as Lewis gets older and Verstappen gets to his peak, yeah, we could be seeing like a a great changing of the guard here, Matt. We could. I have to agree with you in terms of championships. If you had to bet money and you had to pick a favorite, Lewis is the favorite because he's been there and done that. He's won and lost championships, and he has the experience that Max is just now getting to in his career. I think if you were to talk about the two of them on track battling, I'm not so sure I would say anything more than 50-50. Yeah, yeah. Here's what's what's interesting. Yeah. And this, like, for me, my money's on Red Bull for the constructors. But I think Hamilton still maybe has an edge for the driver's championship. And here's why. Well, first of all, we know that Verstappen ran 47 laps more than Perez. So I think we can dispense with Perez being a serious threat to Verstappen. Based on that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because what does that tell you about how they rate Perez versus Verstappen (laughs) at Red Bull? All right. Let's loop back to that. I'm going to make a loop, a note to loop back. Because we know they don't always run with the same car either. And we're still talking about shortages and parts issues and supplies and shipping. Sure. Given that, I think that Perez will out consistent Otas. And I think that gives Red Bull the edge for the constructors. But I think Mercedes will solve enough of their problems that Hamilton will be there or thereabouts and be able to ultimately outpoint Verstappen, even with the brand new size negative one engine that yeah. Honda has gifted them. So I know we're going around the circles here, so don't don't be afraid to come back to any topics you feel we've gone over. But But just on the Perez consistency... We have seen, as Chris said, we've seen Bottas go missing some weekends. We saw Albon go missing some weekends as well. Thus far, we've not really seen Perez like go missing on a race weekend at the moment. So if he does take that forward, that could be the edge in the Constructors' title as well. Kyle, what's your point on? My point was going back to what we were discussing earlier when you have four equal cars sure, and yeah. equal aero and everything and you've got Verstappen versus Hamilton, I'd actually pick... Verstappen, I disagree with your comment that's, that's saying he hasn't he hasn't robustly showed the the brutal consistency because he has. I think he has maximised that Red Bull. Uh, um, besides a few silly sort of collisions, he has maximised the performance of that Red Bull and then some. He is always delivers and yeah. also compared to Hamilton, he's prepared to push 
the rules further, take racing <laughs> into a slightly more nefarious yeah. sort of route. He's, He's prepared to bend the rules yeah. and do anything to win and has that hunger, which I don't think Hamilton has the hunger as he did when he was younger. So I'd pick Verstappen over Hamilton. Hamilton's a bit fight. like you in sim racing and kart racing. Like he's a little bit too rules compliant. Like you're far too rules compliant. Van Gene uh, far and, too nice. Van Gene and Philpot massively take advantage of the fact that they know you're not going to just punt them and that you, you, would, you look after their safety on track, whereas they don't look after yours at all. Well, I'm saving it all up and it will come back at some point when we're in a grand <laughs> final of the karting universe championships. I'll then punt them out of the way. Fair enough. I, I want to clarify a little bit because I can completely see why you picked me up for saying about Verstappen consistency. In a race, any given race between Hamilton and Verstappen in equal cars, I think Verstappen can 100% absolutely take that fight to Lewis Hamilton. Like on any given, I don't think you could even predict it. It would just come down to who's hungrier on the day. And you might want to back Verstappen because he's been in the pack for the last few years, whereas Hamilton has had more room out at the front. And, you know, we're talking about uh, a 35-year-old driver in great condition. But, you know, the guard does change in Formula One. So I just wanted to be clear that I was talking with consistency over a season because we have seen Lewis Hamilton, like, deliver, like, clockwork race after race, weekend after weekend. Chris? I think that's going to be one of two things playing into Lewis's favor is going to be you would still think max is going to have that one silly little incident during the course of the season think back to turkey uh, last year when he had the spin trying to overtake uh, a car on the back straight and i just I, I lewis doesn't make those mistakes anymore the other thing is going to be what matt alluded to which is this less than size zero honda engine the back of that red bull where's the proven reliability in that power unit there kind of just isn't yet mercedes uh, for reliability is pretty bulletproof and we haven't seen red bull honda at that same level just yet well does this mean i get to talk about the engine and what they did a little bit okay just a brief bit uh they made a compact and shorter camshaft they redesigned the cylinder head they redesigned the combustion chamber they are getting more power out of combustion without any detriment to their current MGUH power, which is usually a thing, which is a thing that can often happen. And they've even, speaking to your reliability, adopted a new plating from their Kumamoto motorcycle facility to make sure that the thing doesn't go bang. And I will point out that your friend uh, Perez, Spanners, lost pretty much a, a podium position because his Mercedes engine went bang yeah. in Bahrain. Yeah just last year okay so let's bring this conversation away from from hamilton let's bring this to perez and verstappen and focus in in there philip allen makes a, a great point will the drivers in fifth and sixth overtake perez at the start so i'm i'll be clear to any new listeners listening like i'm a massive perez fan and i'm not one of these that says oh if we've got a podcast we have to pretend to be neutral no not at all i encourage our panelists to talk about who their favourite drivers are, and to declare a bias. And then you can you can take what we say with a pinch of salt. So I'm a huge Lewis Hamilton fan. Uh, I'm a big Perez fan as well. So you can, you can factor that in when deciding whether to listen to my opinion. But for me, as a sports fan, I'm always more critical of the teams that I support. So as a Colchester United fan, you won't hear me on the stands shouting and slating the opposition. I'll be talking about what my team is doing 
uh, you know, and, and why can't my team play more imaginative football? Why can't we use the wings more? So with Perez and Hamilton, I'm, I'm probably the first to look at their flaws. And Perez getting off the line has been disappointing, Kyle, because we have this conversation all the time in sim racing and karting. Both of us have a kind of survival instinct when it comes to racing. We don't want to be binned out on lap one. It's kind of rare to see that attitude from an F1 driver. Perez has that, and, and he's thinking about the end of the race. But at the starts, I'm always like, ah, that's two places you could have had. Well, he's probably going to have to drop that now because that, that attitude is absolutely correct when he was scraping and fighting to try to get as many points as possible for his midfield yeah. team and to try and cash it. And he was invariably in the midfield fighting with what you could call the headbangers, you know, like right in the middle and getting himself into these um, scraps. But now he should be right towards the front of the grid. He can't afford that. So I would I would imagine we'd see a, a, a change in approach from him. Elbows out more now. Okay, well, Keith has asked is, I don't really know why, but, oh, because Ricardo obviously was at Red Bull. Has Keith has just asked in the live chat, is is Perez a better driver than Ricardo? Like, they couldn't be more different. I mean, we'll go to you, Chris. They, could, they couldn't be more different drivers, could they? And, and I, I think drive, uh, Perez is almost a driver out of place in that there really isn't a driver with his attitude elsewhere on the grid. Yeah, if they were teammates, I would put Ricardo ahead. My money would be on Ricardo. I think he has a slightly more ruthless attitude, probably a little bit more raw qualifying uh, pace. I mean, don't get me wrong, they've both proven to be very good overtakers and very good at things like, you know, tires and, and managing a race. But I think Ricardo just has that extra 5% that yeah. would tip the favour for me. And 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 Coles, I think, hit the nail on the head about, you know, that that might not wash. And he, he, as a Perez fan, you go, yeah, that's to step up to that level. He's going to have to go back to, like, retro Perez. And that didn't really work out that well at McLaren. I was just about to say that. Think back to... um. It was 2013, wasn't it? 2013, when he was with yeah. McLaren, and it was the race at Bahrain where Jensen Button's telling him to have a word of him over the radio because he's being far too aggressive. So that was his first season in a big car, and he was super aggressive and, and didn't particularly also, enamour the team to him. He also punted Kimi Raikkonen as well out of the out of the the bridge at Monaco as well, and yeah. uh, and Kimi Raikkonen had some very choice words to have uh, to say about him there. But I don't know, maybe he's got. He, I mean, he's got to know that challenge ahead. But maybe in his head, though, maybe in his head, he's thinking, I'm taking on, he, he admits, he openly admits, I'm not the fastest guy on the grid. And maybe he's going to go, well, this is my strength, Matt. You know, that's what he said. This is my strength. This is what I do. Maybe I'm a little smarter than the other guys on the grid. And he's going to take this attitude to the top of, of, the, of the F1 grid, which we haven't seen for a while. Yeah, well, it, what interests me most about this is is we know that if, we know that Hamilton is a tire whisperer, but Perez has made his reputation doing exactly that. And there are a few other drivers on the grid that we could put into that category. But Perez, of all of them, has really made his bones making the tires last. And what, what interests me is that in doing research for the show, I found a quote from Ed, Andy Green at Aston, Racing Point, Force India, whatever it used to be before that saying that Perez's driving style was actually extreme and saying Vettel's was less extreme with no clarification as to what exactly he meant. So maybe it's just sour grape, you know, or just try, trying to make the best of the situation in which they find themselves. But I'm, I'm now interested to see how his driving style is going to interact with the Red Bull yeah. and the 
the fact that we have new tires. They're running at much lower pressures now. There's so much different going into this season that it's really hard, if you think about it, to, to have a great degree of certainty about anything. So, Carl, I'm just learning about setups and stuff, um, very low-level racing that I do. Uh, so I would guess, if we're trying to find out what Perez's extreme style is, if I wanted to save the, the tyres, I would probably maybe run a little bit more downforce. I would perhaps have a, a little bit more of an understeery car. I would take off more speed before going into a corner, and I would carry more speed through it so that I'm leaning on the tyres less. Is that what we would do to save tyres? Uh possibly i think understeer kills the tires if you're front limited then you want a bit more rotation well, in the car to minimize that steering lock doesn't, which is going in it's all about minimizing the steering lock doesn't understeer kill the tires if you're trying to go in too hot but if you've accounted for that and you're able to kind of break earlier and be mm. less aggressive into the corners yes yes it would but then you're still having to try to carry the speed you're still having to put more lock on if you're understeer i'd i'd want a slightly slightly more pointy car if i'm trying to save the front tires but if it's trying to save the rear tires then yes you'd want understeer in the car well okay well the red bull's pointy matt yeah at the end of the day i think saving tires really comes down to good aerodynamics and limiting your slip angles so that the car is pointed the same direction the tires are as much as possible and the guys that are good at that and right now it's only guys i want to be clear in formula one the guys that are good at that are the ones who make the tires last the longest okay so looking at the chat room uh all the commenters with uh v's and uh and ders in their name don't think perez is very good so we're seeing quite we're seeing the max verstappen fan base is fantastic they are very vocal they love their driver um and i'm sure they will be you know extolling the virtues of max over sergio perez we don't need to really bang the drum about how good max verstappen is i think we all universally here think max verstappen is a phenomenon he's a fantastic driver we've just not seen him in a title fight it's fair to say that if you run this season a hundred times, Max Verstappen is going to win the driver battle most of those seasons. No one's arguing that here. Not even me, I don't think. So the question is, if we're looking at percentage and probability, we run it a hundred times. How many times does Sergio Perez have a chance to somehow have a little bit of luck on his side, be able to eke out some wins through tyre strategy, through playing it a bit smart? on the opening laps, over having probably less pressure on him than Max Verstappen does. How many of those hundred times does Perez sneak a, a points championship win over Max Verstappen? Kyle, I'm going to go I'm gonna go as bold as 12. I think 12 times out of 100, he's able to eke something out in a slightly unconventional way. Uh, I was going to say less and probably about five because I think Max Verstappen is incredibly adaptable <laughs> to any situation. Sure. I think it's reasonable to expect there will be two to three races that Max does not finish where you would expect him to. Puncture, crash, reliability. And I think you could see Perez easily being in his place in all of those, assuming he doesn't suffer a similar fate, which, yeah, you know, it's interesting to see that the cars and the power units are less linked. Usually if you saw one car go boom, you just watch the other one until it went boom too. That doesn't happen quite as often. Oh, you, you know watched, what I mean? You watch 90s F1 too. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. 
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right, I think we've spent enough time with the top two, seeing as we're 46 minutes into the show. And just for, for new listeners, uh, we absolutely stick rigidly to a very, very strict 60-minute time limit, which we have never once gone over because otherwise, you know, everybody's partners and spouses would would hate me for occupying loads of people's time. Stop mouthing swear words at me, Kyle. I can lip read very, very well. Trumpet. I just, we need to be clear about the difference between imperial and metric hours at this point, so the listeners are not confused. Exactly. Well, there we go. Right. Let's move on a little bit. Let's move on to McLaren. And you've put McLaren third in the show notes. That's interesting. I agree. I think they're going to be third also. So Daniel Ricciardo, the new boy uh, at McLaren, Lando Norris, not beating Chris, not beating signs in the way I I hoped. I hoped that by the second season, Norris was going to go there and just really stamp and dominate Carlos. And it hasn't happened. He made a good start to the season. Just something's not clicking. Something's not firing. So we've—I feel like we've either overestimated him, or I've underestimated signs. I'm a little nervous as a as a vaguely Norris fan. I'm nervous of Ricardo coming in, dominating the team politically, making the team work around him, and putting Norris in the shadow. Chris, then Matt, I think you underestimate signs because they were so evenly matched last season, and for me, that was one of the most impressive things for Norris in only his second season to go up against somebody that we know is incredibly fast, incredibly talented. And uh, as I made very clear uh, during our testing uh, review, I think it's going to give Charles Leclerc a hard time at Ferrari this season once he gets all the bells and whistles sorted out. I don't think McLaren is going to sway to Ricardo because Norris is their baby, basically. They nurtured him for many, many years before bringing him into Formula One. And he very much represents the future of McLaren, even after 
you know, Ricardo comes and probably goes before Norris leaves that team. So it's going to come down to just their ability. Norris has got the immediate upper hand with the knowledge of the team and how the car works. Um, but they're both going to have to face the difficulty of the new Mercedes engine in the back of that car. It's going to be one of the most interesting fights throughout the entire season, I think. And I expect it to be incredibly close. I absolutely agree. And I do think, not that we overrate Norris, but I don't think Norris is this headline ultimate pace driver that everyone seems to make him out to be. Look at his first year in um, in F2. He was a very good racer, but it was George Russell who was doing the headline grabbing mainly. Um, Norris is an extremely steady, sensible racer, it would seem. And I do think science is brilliant and it was close. I think Ricardo has got the edge on Norris personally, um, especially with, with experience. But I'm going to place Norris just slightly pipping Ricardo this year purely because... As you say, it's Norris's team. Norris is the baby of the team. He's like the new Lewis of McLaren. Um, and the whole team are going to be around Norris and is comfortable there. Ricardo looks like he's settled in very, very quickly. But I think Norris will just pip him over the season. But Norris, I really don't think he is this Max Verstappen headline grabbing ultimate pace driver. I think he's a solid season driver. We're definitely going to see a moment, I think where Daniel's experience over Lando is going to be demonstrated. They'll both find themselves in the kind of scenario where Daniel is going to judge it better. And that's just going to be him being in Formula One for 10 years coming through. Norris has got more long-term potential. We're not at his peak yet. It's going to be like Max. Yeah, that's a fair point. We're going to see, it's going to take a couple of years more and we're going to start to see that peak. But for now, Ricardo has just got him. Yeah. So I'm just going to weigh in on this briefly and say that Ricardo got 19 more laps than Norris in testing. And as good as Norris has been in the McLaren, if Ricardo figures out the brakes, I think that it's not really a contest. I think Ricardo over a season will win because he's a star and he will bring people to him. He has that look at me and Norris, although he's very good and very fast, I think he's still learning his trade. Ricardo's yeah. at the top of his game. It's but, not, yeah, he, not much of a question. He's at peak Ricardo right now. That's, that's yeah. as Ricardo as Ricardo is getting. There might be more Norris to come as Chris points out. The one scenario at McLaren that I, I I'm not going to bang on about it, but just remember that I, said this this isn't a prediction but there is absolutely a possibility of a full-blown ricardo blowout he is an incredibly funny charismatic guy there is an explosiveness there there is a temper there and if the, the, the dynamic with norris doesn't go well it will quickly go from twitter and twitch bants to something a little darker bear that in mind i think it's a possibility right so i just want to get in real quick with a comment from the chat room, Keith Grant saying that Seidel won't let any driver dominate. And I think if you look back at last season, there were two teams where the drivers were really, really close. One was Renault. The other was McLaren. They absolutely depend on both drivers maximizing that car to do well in the championship. And I agree with Keith. I think that's that you will see that. They're not going to let Norris fall off the face of the earth just because <laughs> Ricardo's there. 
Sure. Okay, good. That looks like a good point to move on to Aston Martin, who I think I agree with your order here, Matt. I don't know whether in the show notes you kind of put in a rough where you think they would be on the track. But so far, I think I agree. Mercedes, Red Bull, McLaren, Aston Martin, you've got Alpine and Ferrari next. Sadly, that's probably true for Ferrari. So let's um, let's look at the Aston Martin project from a driver battle point of view. I'll I'll start. <laughs> I'll start. Okay, there has been a concerted effort in PR land, and Chris is a PR man, so I'm not expecting any details from you, but there has been a concerted push to promote the whole Stroll project. Every media outlet, every big media outlet, that you know, like the corporate ones, when you hear them talk about Stroll, the tone has changed suddenly. It has now gone to an extreme Stroll loving. Lawrence Stroll is a godlike corporate figure he is only doing what every single father would do for their son he is imposing in the drive to survive the first episode is them talking look how big he is oh my god he dominates a room he's so amazing look how big his face is this this pr push has been deliberate and it's been all over reddit it's been all over twitter i I think that's deliberate from camp stroll like obviously i cannot prove that but it, it seems coordinated and it's everywhere also the campaign now is to build up lance stroll as a driver and if i was aston martin pr i would want to do that as well on drive to survive one of the very first scenes is them asking him the question what makes you such a good driver so listen to that wording they said what makes you such a good driver and he answers it what makes me such a good driver is my commitment and dedication or something like that now to me that that is not a credible question that a journalist would ask because in in the scope of formula 1 in context with the 20 other drivers no one no one is seriously suggesting that Lance Stroll is exceptional in that field of 20 drivers i think he's done some really good things the best thing you could say about Lance Stroll is he's improved more than any other f1 driver i've ever seen i've never seen someone come in at that level that he was at when he started have the time and space to breathe and then get up to a good level. But surely, Carl, no one is arguing that now Lance Stroll is at, is such a good driver. At the very best, you can say, he, in five years, he's done really well to train, practice, and get himself up to standard, to take advantage of attrition races, to be a solid number two driver. But no one is arguing that he's such a good driver, surely. No, they are not, but I do think he gets an unnecessarily hard rap because of all of the aforementioned and yeah, the stroll bit in the first episode of drive to survive was hilarious and awful. I was sitting there cringing watching it because of the way they portrayed okay, it. And so I'm not going meeting. mad. I'm not going mad. Oh, no, no, uh, okay. no, I was, I was laughing <laughs> and discussing it as I was watching. Um, but I do think stroll gets um, an unnecessarily hard time sometimes. Um, yeah. I, I do think he, he does belong on the grid. Now he belongs on the grid. Now I think he's progressed. Yes, now I agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. And look at some of the performances he's put in, like up until he got that front wing damage and it all started going wrong in Turkey in those conditions, he was driving them incredibly. His race in Monza that time, his race in Baku. There is something there. He's shown the promise. He has won junior categories. There is some merit to him. So, so um, I think, I think everyone slags him off a bit too much, really. I do think there is some merit to him being there. Someone disagree with me. Uh, okay, but okay. If, if he had an Ocon budget, is he still in F1 now? That, that's my 
No. No, right, okay, that's fine. As long as we accept that, that's fine. But he has had the budget to stay in F1, and then he has had enough talent and focus and training to get up to standard. Chris? He probably could have done with a couple extra years in junior formula to develop a little bit more. Coming into Formula 1 at 18, I know Max did it, but Max is kind of an exception to the rule. Coming into F1 at 18 is pretty ridiculous. But obviously, you know, the Strolls, they saw their opportunity to jump in with Williams and they took it. And you're right. He has been given the space to develop and grow without the risk of you need to perform in the next six months or we're going to drop you. Exactly. Whereas someone like Ocon is like, this could be taken away at any moment. That's That's the difference between, you know, privilege and not privilege. Dr. Vidigam says uh, Turkey proved the potential of Stroll. Isn't Turkey's the one that Perez won, right? No, uh, Perez won, came third or second? What was the result in Turkey? Second. He came second. So where did Stroll come? Uh, He had damage. He had the the lead and then he fell back. And then he fell back. Okay, but even if all that is true, even best case scenario that Turkey proved that the potential of Stroll, we're not talking about potential after four seasons. No one's talking about the potential of any other driver after four seasons. That's my point. Uh, Matt? I'm going to say it's absolutely fair because I ridiculously agree with you 100%. (laughs) Most drivers, and I said this to my wife last night when we were watching Drive to Survive, most drivers would have been gone after a season or maybe two because he was at Williams and they needed the money. But you get my drift. Yeah, Most of them are not moving up to a team like Aston based on what he showed. He had, don't forget, they hired for him historic cars, and he spent almost a season being tutored in F1 cars before he ever walked onto the grid. Most drivers absolutely do not get that level of support. Yeah. And it, on the one hand, it's well, you feel two ways about it, because if you don't have that support, it feels very unfair. But on the other hand, you also wonder, well, what if F1 really looked at all its drivers like that? How many amazing talents have simply just been chucked out the window? Yeah, because they weren't right there, right then. So c- clearly, you know, I sound like I'm I'm stroll bashing. I I accept that. I'm just trying to make my case. But the chat room here is that they're, they're, they're all pointing. So many people are pointing to the pace in Turkey, and I think we know that a lot of his other results, he drove really well and safely. And when there's attrition, he has kept his head when others haven't, and he's picked up those results. When we're talking about pace and skill and driver merit, everyone is talking about that one race. In four seasons, guys, you would be able to point to me way more than that if this was a a top line driver. And the reason I'm talking about top line driver is because we are comparing him to a four time world champion this season. And that's the context I want to put it in, Kyle. Every driver is going to have good weekends, bad weekends. But really, that one weekend in Turkey, that's the one where people are pointing to him with with top line pace. He also put it on the front of the grid in Monza in 2017, I believe, as yeah. well. Um, so he's, he's, he's done again. It's not just Turkey. And one night out in Turkey sounds like a techno song. A bad one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, good. But we would all surely expect Sebastian Vettel to, all things being equal, rinse Lance Stroll right now. Is, is there anyone that's going to make the case that that's not the predicted case? Chris? Uh, no, I fully expect Sebastian to be quicker in qualifying, quicker in the races, score more points, be in more contention for podiums. Matt? I am going to point to the fact that Vettel had an 80-lap deficit to stroll as being problematic for our four-time world champion 
the fact that he doesn't feel like he's comfortable with the steering yet, the fact the car itself is of uncertain reliability right now. And I'm going to say that all things being equal, at least over the first part of the season, I think Stroll might hold a bit of an advantage. And if reliability and or other things play a part, Stroll might actually eke this one out. I think he's got more of a chance this season than he will any future season. I think it's going to be close between them. I think it's going to be very close. And as you said, it's um, he's lost an incredible lot of running. And also he come from a high rate concept Ferrari into the low rake concept Aston Martin with the Mercedes engine. He's got an awful lot of things to get his head around and not that much running at all. And I've seen a few people questioning his motivation as well. He, he took a hammering in the press last year. Um, I think he's going to be fired up. I think he will just get him, but I think you're correct in, I wouldn't be surprised if Stroll has the upper hand on him for the first few races, at least. Okay. Well, maybe I'll give you the first few races, but we're we're asking each other to make predictions and put our flags in the ground over the course of the whole season. All things being equal, and I, I do have the the moment where Stroll got upgrades over Perez still sticking in my craw a little bit from last season. All things being equal over the course of the season, not only do I expect Sebastian Vettel to be consistently faster? Perez, not the fastest driver on the grid. What was the uh, quality score at, uh, at Racing Point last season? Can anyone remember? It was lots on one side and not very many on the other side. I'm fully expecting Sebastian Vettel to rinse Lance Stroll in quality pace and in experience as well. And I'm really, really hoping this is the year where he doesn't have a car that is just disappear, where the rear is just disappearing underneath him because clearly that Ferrari did not suit his driving style. So I'm going to put my flag in the ground. It's going to be a thumping, Chris, an absolute thumping from Vettel in that teammate battle. Despite Vettel's struggles in testing, I still expect him to be as quick, if not quicker than Lance come the first race. Oh, immediately. He's a four-time world champion. He doesn't really have an excuse. No. So if, if we get to the end of the season and Lance Stroll has beaten... Sebastian Vettel over that season, or even if it's close, then sure, I'll eat my words. Either I've overestimated Vettel or I've uh, massively underestimated Stroll. It's one of those two things. But look, Stroll had, if you, he had every advantage and every chance last season. He had the experience already to take the fight to Perez and he didn't really. You're pointing to one example in Turkey and then, guys, you're going back to 2017 in a qualifying. You've gone back three years to not even a race that's your counter. Okay. So I, I think I've got the case. I'll, I'll be interested to see how it evolves. I, I want to say as well, I don't really like the Monza 2017 quality example because he didn't qualify second. <laughs> there were three cars mm. in front of him, if I remember rightly, that had grid penalties. <sighs> wow. Yeah, there you go. That's not an argument for me to make. I'm glad you made it. Let's move on. Let's go down the grid then. Who's next on uh, on Matt's list? And by the way, if you think... oh missed apex it's all down to the genius of spanners you're nearly right but not quite matt puts in the hard yards making sure that when we turn up on a sunday there are show notes ready and a, and a skeleton for our discussions for which i i thank you my friend matt and uh you should follow matt on his twitter at matt pt 55 he has a wife you know do you know what her name is monty python reference there it's at a weaver writes and she writes books and the link to her books is always in our show notes because we are her biggest fans and we're working hard to get her Formula One romance novels recognised by the world. I think that covers your plugs, Matt, doesn't it? 
yeah, if you basically know anyone at a publishing house, tell them they should buy these books and publish them because now is the best time for them to start going out. It absolutely is. All right, so we've done Mercedes, we've done Red Bull, McLaren, Aston Martin, oh, Alpine. So after our conversation with Matthew Carter, it confirmed what I think about Alpine, which is it's new clothes, it's a new package, it's new branding. I don't think anything is is changing. It is a, a brand that is underperforming because they don't have huge support from the parent company. I don't think the parent company is is like fully all in. They like them being there. I I think that the F1 team, and this is just speculation, but tell me if I'm wrong. I think the F1 team struggles to convince the parent company that they need that, that they can get the funds to like unlock their full potential. Matthew Carter, ex Lotus CEO boss, credited Cyril Abitable, and that never happens because I don't think those two get on at all. But he credited Cyril and said that that Renault project wouldn't have got off the ground if it wasn't for Abitable pushing for those funds. I think it's an underfunded team. I think it's a great outfit, but I don't think they have that scale to push for the championship. I think fifth is probably about right for them this season. But let's focus on the drivers. We have got me and Matt here. Oh, this is going to be a season-long battle because Matt is a massive Esteban Ocon fan. And I have to say, I know it's not popular, but I've got a soft spot for for Fernando Alonso and I'm really looking forward to him coming back. Let's see how the panel feel about that. So, Chris... How do you feel about these two drivers? So I love Esteban Ocon. I really do. And I love Fernando Alonso. Regardless of talent or likability or marketability, I don't care if you hate Alonso because he's considered toxic. I just think he's so great for Formula One. And I love Ocon. I love his story. I love his ability. That's the yeah, Ocon's a very relatable character. I I I think this is very tough for me because I I really <laughs> like them both, but I think Alonso's gonna walk this one. I do, I do as well. We'll we'll, we'll do we'll get to Matt last, I think. And I think you know, you're right with Ocon. Obviously, they're they're all pretty much rich kids, even Lewis Hamilton with his Stevenage working class story, he would still have been the rich kid in our gang. Uh but Ocon is as close to a street rat story as you get. Uh, where do you stand, Kyle, on these two drivers? I'm incredibly excited. I'm a lot less excited now Cyril has been ejected because I was looking forward to the to the falling out between Alonso and him. Um, I I like Ocon's story. Um, I don't, however, think... I don't see it with Ocon. I haven't ever seen it. I don't nope, see the, with you. the magic or the spark there, unfortunately. I like the guy. I just don't quite see it. And I do think, however toxic a lot Alonso is, I'm a massive fan of him coming back to Formula One because, as you say, the drama. And I am predicting that Alpine's biggest challenge this year will be trying to patch the team up for the inevitable <laughs> mid-season dummy spits and fallouts. It's happened already. It started. Alonso's taken a slight pot shot in the press, saying the car's a bit slow already. Um, and how public he is. I'm looking forward to the public relations nightmare they have on the hand with Fernando and them trying to manage Ocon, who I think Fernando is going to monster. That that pot shot in the press and inverted comments. What else is he going to? What's he going to say? Oh, we're going for the title. That's just wrong. <laughs> but yeah. what other drivers have come out and clearly said that their car's a bit slow? None. 
Uh, that's, that's one particular quote anyway. <laughs> Look, right, let's get to Matt. The point was... No, like, I want to get to Matt. Sorry, Chris, okay. I want to get to Matt because he's been sitting there gritting his teeth listening to all our stuff. Like, Matt, to be fair, you've staked your flag in the Ocon camp really early in his career. I want to know, why do you rate this driver so much? Because I'm with Kyle. I've never seen it. I've got nothing against him. I just haven't seen it. He walked on as a rookie and just about tied Perez. Took no grief from anyone. Was was aggro. And as we saw last season, one thing he can do, the one thing he has in common, is the ability to seriously manage tires. He ran like a 60-lap stint on mediums last season, at least, in a race that only two or three other people were able to pull that off. The guy has the talent. He wouldn't have gotten the right he got without it. Mercedes favor him. Carter likes him and thinks he's going to wind up at Mercedes when his Renault contract is up and Gasly moves to Renault, which is now obviously Alpine. And it's going to be Russell and Ocon instead of Hamilton and Bottas when that finally comes yeah, to so a I, head. I, I disagree with Carl and Spanner saying, you know, never seen the spark. The spark was there at Force India against Perez. And he just, he didn't quite have it last year at Renault, I'll admit. Up against Ricardo, very, very tough in a not incredibly performing team for sure. But the idea that, you know, he had a, a potential place at, at Mercedes, very, very exciting. I would like to see what he can do with uh, some slightly better uh, machinery. Matt, he, he got under Perez's skin. Correct. Absolutely right. Especially in uh, in Singapore. But he didn't step up to Ricardo, and Alonso is all those bits of Ricardo magnified. And what I love about this is that the reason he struggled against Ricardo was that he spent an entire year not racing anything. Alonso has spent two years not racing Formula One <gasps> oh, cars. That's such a good and I'm point. I'm just going to point out. I think that might might be kind yeah. of important. That is a really good point, and I hate admitting when Matt has a good point, Kyle. But also, this is going to be the ultimate test then, isn't it, for for Esteban? Because then if Alonso comes out for two years and not driving a Formula One car, yes, he's racing other things, but it's not really that applicable. Um, and Alonso beats... So you're saying by that logic, Ocon will easily beat Alonso this year then? No, I'm not saying he's going to easily beat Alonso because Alonso is Alonso. Even Hamilton didn't easily beat Alonso, let's face it. But what I am saying is Alonso has a bit of a climb back into the sport. What mitigates it relative to Ocon, and I'm just going to lay this marker down here now before we've seen either of them race, is Ocon was not released from Mercedes until January 1 to go to Renault. Alonso has been embedded in Renault for at least six months now and has been driving some of their old cars and part of the team. If Alonso gets all the new parts, if Alonso gets the new car and Ocon the old car, well, then, yeah, I think you can expect that to play a role in how the season finishes. And I don't know the answer to that yet. Yes, I, I agree with you. And I'd like to point something out from the chat room by Kenji Ulmer. Ocon will be out of F1 after he gets beaten by Alonso. His star just isn't as bright anymore since the year off. And this is similar to what I put in the show notes of this is like a make or break time for Ocon because if Alonso then beats Ocon this year, Ocon's been there for one year, it's surely majorly career damaging for Ocon. He has to beat Alonso this year, really. 
I, I do kind of agree with that. I think Ocon is, is spending up his tokens. He's running out of time, especially as Renault have got some really exciting junior drivers coming up through the ranks. Okay, guys, we are running low on time. So we've got another 10 minutes. I'm going to I'm gonna get rid of three of the teams very quickly. I'm sure we can delve into those uh, in more detail throughout the season. Stick your hand up, panel, if you don't want me to breeze by this or you've got a short point on these three teams. But Williams... Uh, Williams, Haas, and Alfa Romeo. So, Alfa Romeo, I, I'm really not interested in that battle. Like, a young Giovinazzi is kind of equal to a very old Kimi Raikkonen, Kyle. And I, I'm not fascinated by that battle, honestly. Yeah, sorry for all of the Kimi fans, but that driver pairing can be summed up in a noise for me, and that's... Yeah. I just, I'm just not excited by them whatsoever. Um, uh, like an old Kimi and Gio... Yeah, not much more to say. I think Kimi will just get Gio again at the end. I, I'm, an, I'm upset because my laugh will ruin that as a clip because that's definitely going to be the thing I put on social media uh, that, that Carl has put that driver battle down to. What was the noise again? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you, you're not far off. Uh, Russell and Latifi, I think we can agree that that is probably the most one-sided driver lineup. Uh, on the grid, no one is expecting anything other than potential future world champion George Russell to absolutely trounce once again the nice, affable, actually lovely seeming uh, Latifi. But no one's thinking that he holds a candle to to Russell, Chris. I am rooting for Latifi, and I think if Williams, if the the wind in the sails is pointing in the right direction, Latifi can score a point or two this season. Who's paying you to say no? Like he, by the way, like he seems really nice. Like he comes across, across <laughs> fantastically. Don't get me wrong. In the race that Latifi scores a point or two, George will be a couple of places sure, higher sure, or sure. has retired. Point or two. Uh, how long has it been since Williams scored any points? Keep it, keep let's it. just let's just hope that they score as many as Haas did last year. Okay, and I'm going starters. And I'm going to skip past Haas when it comes to driver battles. Um, I want to give this more room, and I just don't feel like I'm in the mood to talk about this right now. Obviously, wonderful for Schumacher fans to see Mick Schumacher come back, as we discussed a few weeks ago. And from that legacy point of view, it's exciting. It's interesting, personally. I'm not interested in that at all. I wish him all the best in general. And if he should come and turn out great performances, I'll get behind him. But I promise you 100% that that will be on his merit and not his name. I'm not, I'm not generally interested when kids come through with a famous name. It doesn't. In fact, it probably does the opposite, I'll admit. It probably triggers me. It probably gets my back up the opposite way. So I'll admit that Mick Schumacher probably has to do even more to make me care about him than another driver coming through. So at the moment, I'm waiting to see what he got, what he gets, what he comes with. Mazepin interests me even less for numerous reasons. I do not have a good impression of him as a human being. I think that's as far as we need to go right now. I don't have a good impression of him because he's basically the next in the line of billionaire drivers who are coming in, he's going to buy a team. So there's going to be Mazepin F1. We know a couple of years ago, they were already talking to, to Renault and Enstone if, in case they wanted to drop out of F1. So Mazepin has been destined to buy a team. There's no selection pressure on Mazepin. He was destined to F1 because of his budget. So at the moment, 
that driver pairing doesn't excite me. Kyle, then Chris. Um, it excites me because for me, seeing the MSC up there again is a got, got a very special that. place I in my that. heart. Sure. Um, I really, really like this. I think most of the Formula One community would like to see him beat Mazpin. Um, I I think Mazpin will get him at the start of the season because because he's public enemy number one. He's got a lot to prove. I think he's going to be the more aggressive of the two and we'd be really going out there trying to get the results. For both of them, the Haas hostage doesn't look good. It looks it's not really much of a movement on from last year. It's not, it's not, it's not looking good. So they're going to be nailed to the back of the grid with, yep. with Williams, um, which is, which, which is hard for me. I'm just happy to see MSC back on the timing boards. That would be great. And that's enough for me to be excited and really one-sided in that. I really hope MSC nails yeah. him. I'm not going to take that happiness away. Cause I know you're a massive Michael Schumacher fan and I'm not taking away any of that joy of people who are really happy given the horrible circumstances, uh, you know, around Michael Schumacher's disappearance from the public scene. Uh, we, we obviously wish that family well. I'm not taking away from that. But this discussion is purely on on driver merit as well. Not taking that away. I know there's going to be a lot of teary eyes when the MSC appears on the race grid for the, for the first time. Uh, obviously, a lot of very impassioned, emotional comments in our live chat. I'm not insensitive to that we will cover some of that stuff we don't shy away from the difficult topics but now the preseason review maybe not quite the time for that chris with regards to you know Mazbin buying a team it's effectively what he's done with Haas. um he's there for his money oh no yeah absolutely we, we, yeah. we all know that the huge sponsorship that he that he brings through his father's business as well obviously son of a billionaire third one on the grid that is the it's the start of a legacy i don't know if he's necessarily just going to go and outright buy a team like stroll because you know the latifis haven't bought williams for example and they what they invested a little bit in mclaren but that's about it i'm sure there's going to be some money going into investment maybe outright buying a team might be a little far-fetched so some people getting angry at me in the chat saying that schumacher won f2 he won the f2 title i i'm not the expert in the junior series that you are chris but i know that seasons vary you can't always draw full conclusions from from what people do and and perhaps unfairly the example that always gets thrown is say jolian palmer who was there for four seasons in the junior category before finding what some people call a weaker year and then then winning so how much credence should we put in the fact that he's an f2 champion well, both Schumacher and Mazepin were in their second year in F2 last season. Schumacher was with uh, a, an incredibly good team, notorious. They won every level of junior formula last season. Mazepin was with Hitech, and if I remember rightly, this was their comeback year in, in Formula 2. So pretty much learning the ropes for them and using Mazepin's prior year of experience to help get them up to speed. It was a very bizarre year because of the introduction of the 18-inch rims. It basically just tossed the result into a hat. You pick it out at random. It's how it felt a lot of the time. If I remember rightly, Mazepin won more races. Schumacher was a lot more consistent. Sonoda, for example, would have won the title if there were no sprint races. If it was only taken on feature races, he would have won the title. Oh, right. Explain that to me in a, in a little bit more detail. So are sprint races less valuable? Are they... Which one's more suited to F1? Well, the feature race is is about an hour long, mandatory pit stop, and then the top eight is reversed to give you the grid 
of the sprint race, which is 45 minutes long and there's no sprint race um, in it. And it's worth less points right. because it's a shorter race. So Schumacher earned a lot more points by being consist- more consistent throughout uh, the weekend and across you know, more sure. races. Okay. Okay, good. Well, that, that leads us nicely to uh, to Toro Rosso. No? Oh, my goodness. I can't <laughs> believe... It's been First ages one now. Season. Alpha Tauri. My goodness. So that leads us to Alpha Tauri then. So it's uh, Pierre Gasly and Yuki Tsunoda. So I'm I'm super torn here, Kyle, because I was never a Gasly fan at all. Like literally, like not at all. But last season I just couldn't help it. I got sucked into the Gasly hype train. But also, this Yuki Tsunoda guy, he seems to have come in with a, a flurry of excitement and hype as well. So I think I'm in a, a dual hype situation. Mm, I am too. This is one of the pairings that excites me the most, particularly Sonoda. Look back, it was his first year. He's had a meteoric rise and has progressed from, I think it's only in four years in car racing, all into F1. They keep taking him out of series, drop him in, dropping him into another one. And is instantly, he has got the headline pace and he has this, yeah, he's got this electric atmosphere about him. I love him when he's on track and I think he's going to be explosive. I think he's going to be a bit crashy and making some mistakes, but I think he's actually <laughs> okay. got it. And so I think Gasly will should very much have the upper hand on him. But if Sonoda can get near Gasly and beat him on the occasional, on occasion, considering his lack of experience in car racing, I think that's a huge win for Sonoda. And I think we're going to see it. Sonoda is the driver that excites me most for next year. It is the typical Red Bull way. It's how they treat, treat their, their juniors. They chuck them into a series and they're like, you better float. Otherwise, we're going to make you, you know, if you sink, we're not going to we're not going to throw you any rubber rings and haul you back up. You will just sink. And it's it's something they do with their European drivers. They're like, just ship them off to Japan to and deal them with a team that don't even speak English and then and let them just deal with it. And it's chuck them in the worst case possible <laughs> scenario you can give them. Good. And you'll find the best. You'll find the best drivers that way. And Sonoda had the opposite where he came to Europe barely speaking English and mm. he has been phenomenal. Gasly should really have the upper hand on him, on him initially. I do not think it's going to take long <laughs> at all for Sonoda to be at his level. Okay. And that's saying something because if you look outside of Hamilton and Verstappen last season, Gasly was the driver of the season last year. I just can't help but think about Gasly at Red Bull against Verstappen. And we saw, everyone yeah. was so impressed with him back at AlphaTauri last year. But there's a reason he got kicked back downstairs from Red Bull. And I, I honestly, this driver pairing makes me think of Hamilton as a rookie versus Alonso. Oh. In that I think it's going to be that close and it's going to be that exciting. Nice. So the experience of Gasly, I think if Sonoda scores well against Gasly, then that's going to reflect better on Sonoda than, than it is on Gasly, obviously. Yeah, Sonoda's yeah. in much more of a no-lose situation right now than Gasly is. Yeah, I think if, yeah, as I said, if Sonoda can get near Gasly, if he can qualify one or two positions behind him within three-tenths and on the occasion, say, out of the 23 races, he he beats him three times and he puts in some score point-scoring finishes, I think that can be considered a win over Gasly. Like, Gasly, on paper, should be absolutely trouncing him. Right. Well, look at that. We're nearly towards the end of the show. That is interesting. I must say, 
I, I don't criticise Red Bull in the same way that a lot of people criticise them for their churn of young drivers. It's F1. It's the pinnacle of motorsport. It's supposed to be hard. Just because you get a chance at Alpha Tauri doesn't mean you're owed anything at Red Bull. If the results don't come, the results don't come. You get a shot, you've got to take it, Chris. Absolutely. Can't argue with you that sometimes they maybe go a little bit too far because a lot of drivers you won't get the best out of them in that particular way uh i don't think you get the best out of albon that way for example and that's probably why we started seeing the best of him after he left the red bull driver program and then they picked him back up after he got good oh yeah you're good now we're gonna have you back i did want to circle back to something there was a comment in the chat room saying we we would kind of breeze past Giovinazzi and Raikkonen because it we wasn't particularly on exciting. Yeah, uh, but uh, they said, "Well, Giovinazzi was very exciting in GP 2 and they're like, "Yeah, that, he was." Haven't seen that in Formula One though. That so kind of proves kind of, the point I was, was making earlier, five, doesn't it? Yeah. It's five years ago. Yeah. So, what do you want us to do? We, uh, I, I need something to change to be excited about that yeah. driver pairing, and at the moment, I'm not seeing it. So we only have Ferrari left, Matt. We've only got we Ferrari do. left. Do you know what I'm surprised about with this conversation? I was like, what? I know I'm excited about, obviously, the top battle uh, with Perez joining those those top four. I knew I would be excited about the McLaren pairing. I knew I felt passionate about the Stroll uh, versus Vettel battle. But I didn't realise that apart from Williams, like, I've got a dog in every fight. Like, I am so looking forward to a year of just needlessly aggressive debates with all of you guys. And, like, I'm, I'm emotionally invested in every single driver battle this season. Yeah, and there is so much to be interested about, no matter who you are or which driver you pick. There's there's already so much argument can be made that one driver has the advantage <laughs> over the other just to get things started before we even see them on track. But there are some fiercely talented individuals whose livelihoods are completely at stake. And yeah, it's going to be massive drama the whole season. Mm, gladiators ready. Contenders ready. That's a really 90s reference. Uh, Only Kyle got that as an old British person. So Ferrari, let's finish on Ferrari. Unfortunately, we don't have time to give this quite the the room it deserves. But where me and Matt argue over the last few years, I think, is on the relative ability of, of Carlos Sainz. So I think we agree Leclerc is probably the real deal. Last year's engine super secret penalty for Ferrari that wasn't a penalty because they did definitely didn't do anything wrong stunted what we really got to see out of Leclerc the other factor was that because Vettel was on his way out there's a bit of a suspicion you know was that a completely fair fight we don't know so have we seen the best out of Leclerc we don't know there's a lot of unknown unknowns so I'll park Leclerc in my in my head for a moment how good is signed i I, I've got the feeling I've underestimated him. Yet again, I, I like with Ocon, I don't see what other people are seeing, Matt. And that's absolutely fair. Signs is one of the drivers, one of the few drivers, who just is quietly good at what he does and slightly better than you think he is. If you look at his record, if you look at his ability to go from Red Bull or from Toro Rosso to Renault, to McLaren, now Ferrari, and every place he goes after about half a season at most, he's just kind of there in the races. 
He may not be the fastest qualifier. He may not be the best on-track battler, but he has a work ethic and he has the talent. And I don't know that, he, I'm certain he won't beat Leclerc this year because Ferrari's a brand new team to him. Leclerc's been there and yeah. now obviously owns the team. But I will tell you, it's going to be a lot closer than a lot of people think it's going to be. I think Matt's inadvertently kiboshed his own argument with the phrase after half a season at all the teams he's been in, Chris. There is a term for Carlos Sainz in sports, and that is journeyman. Right, but how many people do you expect to just arrive at a team and be going out, guns blazing, swinging, seven the chin, oh, straight okay. away in the first? No, we're f- it's f- it's absolutely fine for science to take half a season to get up to where Leclerc is in terms of his comfort with the car and with the team. Let's not forget, science's main point of reference you know, one we, we we know was a good one was Verstappen when they were both in their first year in at F1, Toro Rosso. At yeah. Toro Rosso. And they were incredibly closely matched. Yeah. I I don't want us to start seeing a, a Jean-Luc Verne situation with science because I think Verne was wasted in Formula One. He was very close to Ricardo and they picked Ricardo. Look at Verstappen, they picked Verstappen. They're incredibly, yes, Verstappen was much younger. Um, I think science does have it, but I think Spanner's hit the nail on the head with journeyman. He he's I think he was at risk of becoming the new Hulkenberg. Um, it's gonna be interesting. I do think Leclerc is going to nail him because Leclerc is Ferrari's bright young star and they do like to favour one person. But I don't think you can write science off. But I do think he he is extremely good. Hulkenberg with podiums. <laughs> I think that's absolutely fair. That brings us to the end of the show. And we tend to end every show that isn't a race review with this award. Comment of the week. It's a, an award that is very important to me, an award that I never neglect or forget because the live chat and the comments they make are so important to me. And I believe, Matt, that our highest concurrent view for a non-race review in, in this uh, new show with 679 people joining us live. And that will mean that about 3,000 people have joined us live throughout the show, which is absolutely fantastic. Please be sure to like and subscribe the video if you're looking at it on YouTube. If you're a podcast listener, we add a link to the show notes that you can share with your friends. But it is www.mistapex.net. Share that with your friends. If they click it, they will see immediately somewhere to press play and see our faces on video. And also they will be able to press a button and hear the audio version too. They will also see written work from our brand new fantastic journalistic team that is writing articles for Mist Apex, headed by Flip Jakobsen as well. And if you want to send any stories to them or comment on any of the articles they write, you can email feedback at mistapex.net. I am spanners at mistapex.net. And you can email Matt, matt at mistapex.net. Matt, who are the contenders for comment of the week? Well, I will start, as always, with Marcio Gonzalez, who gave us money through the Super Chat. Oh, well, thank we you. never complain about that. Thank and you very much. we'll thank our patrons as well, who support us at patreon.com forward slash mistapex. We are only able to keep doing all these shows because of our patrons. Please consider becoming a patron. The link is in the show notes. Absolutely. We will begin with perennial favorite Stuart Neal. Spoiler alert, 
but they did not cover Mist Apex, so for me, it was a bit of a bust regarding Drive to Survive. We didn't make the edit on the Drive to Survive. There was no Mist Apex content at all. Bit of a spoiler for me, but Shocking. ouch. All right. Well, season four, it'll be all spanners all the time, I'm sure. And maybe Matt. Uh, Mark 63. Actually, there are only 18 cars. Haas has gone by lap 10 or 20 every week. <laughs> if you ouch. look at the odds for first retirement... Grosjean and Magnussen were the shortest odds every single race last season, I'm pretty sure. Evergreen gets in with the very clever Picciardo, discussing Ricardo at the peak of his career. Picardo is what I would have gone for being a Star Trek fan. Fair enough. Mm. Uh, Jason G, Aston is the box for Schrodinger's Vettel. Oh, okay. Like, is he going to come in spinny or fast? I think fast. Fair enough. We have two more to go. Uh, Maria Antero is in with Lance has the biggest commitment to the sport. Unless it is sunny, then he wants to go surfing, which... That's unfair. I, at no point have I suggested that he wasn't committed. I was just slightly mocking the assertion and the assumption from the questioner that he's definitely such a good driver in comparison to F1 people. Not saying and he's lazy we, or not committed. And then we finally finish with Evangelos Eteroclitus Assen equals the team previously known as the team previously known as Force India, possibly making fun of my grandpa memory. Fair enough. Who's the winner, Matt? Oh, that's a challenging one, but I think we're going to go with Evergreen Picciardo. Comment of the week. In that case, I should have won with my Picardo, but never mind. I'm ineligible for winning comment of the week. But thank you for joining us for our pre-season preview. We could not be more excited about the 2021 season. I hope that you will join us for live streams or download the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. We will have episodes in video and audio form ready for you before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We do strive for rightness, but getting that review out to you so that it's ready on a Monday morning when you still care about hearing about F1 stuff, that is super important to us. And we work super hard overnight to make sure that those those platforms and those contents are populated with brand new episodes for you. Follow the show on social media at Missed Apex F1. We have a Missed Apex podcast Facebook group as well. We have Instagram and even a TikTok. Follow Kyle at Kyle Power F1. Chris at Chris on Racing. Matt at Matt PT55. And me at Spanners Ready. I'm, I'm the best one. I'll say that one again. At Spanners Ready. We're going to see you on Tuesday where we've got a show with Joe Saywood, who has been a journalist at every Grand Prix since 1988. And then pretty soon, we're going to be planning for our first race review of the season. Wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Editors, edit my inability to say that word out. Strike it from the record. Only perfection will make it in the finished article. We have always been at war with, uh, I don't know, who's our biggest rivals in media? Can we can we fight? A, well, it's for F1's sake podcast, isn't it? Oh, we want to start some beefs? With, for, here, here's my beefs. We've always been at war for, for F1's sake podcast and Alex Brundle as a person. How's that sideboard? Right, well, this is it. I just post something innocuous, and because he's he flexes, because he's got, like, whatever, 15,000 Twitter followers, he's mocked me 
and then his reply gets more retweets and likes and stuff than my original post. It's very humbling. I don't like it. There's a big ego knock. Just just say to him, well, joke's on you, Mr. <laughs> Racing Driver, yeah. now in a world championship, and you're just... Oh, there's, nothing, you. there's nothing you can say. He's had an incredible <laughs> life. He's literally yeah. a professional race driver. He's really fast, and he's kind and generous with his time. What am I going to do? What am I going to criticise him for? I've got nothing. Yeah, he put you in an awkward spot. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.